Welcome to episode 155. I'm Stuart McCullough, I'm the CEO of VHAA. It's time for this week's weekly update. For this week's weekly update, I'm joined by Senior Workplace Relations Consultant, Emma Scott. Welcome, Emma. Thanks, Joanne. Emma, would you do the honours and reveal the clue that will be the clue for today's, for today's discussion? I can indeed. Oh, there's something under the box. I think you're going to have to show that. And so for the benefit of those people who are listening uh, to this podcast rather than watching, uh, would you be good enough to describe what it is you see? Um, I think there's lots of maybe possibly hippie men in um, wide-legged... Um, just for your information, uh, it was very, very common for people to dress exactly like that in the 1970s. In fact, that's pretty much what my school uniform was uh, back in the 70s. Uh, but we've also got a musical clue uh, that will also further assist, uh, which connects to that image. So based on that picture and indeed that music, what would you say the subject for today's discussion is? Um, well, I think that those suits are quite crisp and clean white, so that may be infection control. Nice try, uh, but uh, unfortunately that is horrifically wrong. Uh, that band is actually called the Bar Kays, and that, uh, that takes us to this week's discussion uh, about the case Barclay. Uh, indeed, it's a case Bendigo TAFE and Barclay, which is a High Court decision. It actually connects to a discussion we were having a couple of weeks ago with regards to adverse action where we mentioned uh, the case of uh, Bendigo TAFE and Barclay, which was the first time an adverse action claim uh, came before the High Court of Australia, and it contains some really key principles about uh, how those claims are determined. Um, so what's a quick summary about what adverse action is? The Fair Work Act prohibits someone from taking adverse action against another person where the action is taken for reasons such as the possession of a workplace right, uh, protected attributes or because of union membership, being a union delegate or engaging in industrial activity. So it was quite a um, landmark case. What were the um, facts? So Mr Barclay was an employee of Bendigo TAFE uh, and it was also the president of the Bendigo TAFE sub-branch of the Australian Education Union. So uh, how did the alleged adverse action actually come about? Mr Barclay sent an email to uh, AEU members who worked at the Bendigo TAFE and that email contained some serious allegations concerning the employer's conduct, uh, specifically that members had reported that they'd either witnessed or had been asked to produce fraudulent documents for an audit. Um, so what was the alleged adverse action that the employee undertook? Yeah, so that came about in the context of the employer asking Mr Barclay to provide names of the witnesses who were referred to in the email and a refusal by Mr Barclay to provide those names. So the employer wanted to basically um, investigate those suspected like serious claims. Um, what happened after the refusal? Mr Barclay was suspended uh, pending a full investigation. He was immediately denied access to his office uh, and to his emails and was re requested to show cause why he shouldn't be subject to disciplinary action. So the employee wasn't dismissed but was stood down um, and denied some access to resources um, and then told basically why shouldn't he be disciplined? 
That's correct. And Mr Barclay in the AEU applied to the federal court alleging that Bendigo TAFE had taken adverse action against Mr Barclay because he was an AEU member engaged in industrial activity. So with adverse action, it's actually the reverse onus of proof. Mm. So Mr Barclay uh, doesn't actually have to or didn't need to prove the reasons um, that adverse action was for a prohibited reason. It's really Bendigo um, TAFE that has to prove that the action wasn't done because of a prohibited reason. What evidence did Bendigo TAFE actually use in the case in defence? It's a really good point with regards to that reverse onus of proof. You know, where the applicant's not proving, um, but the the respondent needs to prove it wasn't. Um, the, The key evidence in this case involved evidence from the CEO of Bendigo TAFE. And she gave evidence that she decided to take the action uh, against the employee because of her concerns about the allegations in the email and their potential consequences and not because of the employee's union membership, office or activities. So what you're describing there, the CEO was the decision maker? That's correct. So the CEO asserted that Mr Barclay had uh, breached a code of conduct by making serious allegations that were considered to be general and vague. And she believed that, she, uh, that he should have brought those allegations to the attention of senior management before sending out that group email. Mm-hmm. So um, in relation to the case, it was obviously ended up in the High Court, but obviously that's not where things start. How did it actually start and progress to the High Court? So at the first instance, it went to the Federal Court in front of a single member, and the Federal Court accepted uh, Bendigo Tafe's evidence that the reasons for suspending Mr Barclay did not uh, involve his role as an officer of the union. So um, what about on appeal? So on appeal, the full, uh, the full court of the federal court overturned the original decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why did they actually overturn the original decision? This is where it gets really interesting. The uh, full federal court focused heavily on the CEO's unconscious state of mind. So according to the court, it was necessary to decide what the real reason uh, is on the basis that the real reason could be conscious, that is, could be known, or could be unknown, that is, unconscious. Uh, So we were talking about the CEO being the decision maker. So that really means that the CEO might know or also not know the reason for it? Yeah, if you get down to that level of asserting that it could be an unconscious reason, then you've got a circumstance where the decision maker doesn't know the reason for the decision, potentially. And the full federal court uh, was interesting, and it determined that the CEO must have been influenced by the fact that Mr Barclay was an officer of the union uh, despite her evidence to the contrary, uh, as Mr Barclay sent the, the email in his capacity as an officer to members of the union. So that's really um, saying that the real reason um, for that particular action might not actually be what that person has said it was? In that, yeah, in that appeal decision, it's true that even where the person genuinely believes that they were motivated uh, by some other reason, that um, under the the uh, appeal level, uh, that they could still be found to be wrong and adverse action for a prohibited reason could still be established. So that's actually quite controversial. Uh, How did it um, affect employers? It it created uh, a significant amount of uncertainty um, for employers who are contemplating taking disciplinary action against an employee, given that the ruling suggested that employers could potentially face exposure as a result of disciplining employees where a workplace right was somehow connected. Uh, The decision was uh, regarded as meaning that it would be close to impossible for employers to disprove that the action was taken for a reason uh, other than the one alleged. Um, So instead of employers, what about employees? 
So the federal court's ruling arguably afforded a special protection uh, to union members uh, and others with an attribute providing them with a level of immunity that's not really contained in the Act. So according to the full federal court, uh, a union office holder could never take off their union hat uh, to be regarded simply as an employee who had potentially engaged in misconduct and disciplined accordingly. Um, so I assume Bendigo TAFE wouldn't have taken that um, decision lightly? Uh, so Bendigo TAFE appealed the full court of the federal court's decision and it went to the High Court, who ultimately overturned that appeal decision and restored the decision at first, in, uh, first instance. So the High Court was unanimous in overturning the full federal court's decision. What did they actually find? Yeah, look, what was particularly interesting uh, was the view of Justice Hayden, uh, who pointed out that it would impose an impossible burden uh, on employers if they were required to prove that they were not motivated by unconscious reasons uh, of a prohibited kind when taking adverse action against an employee. So essentially the High um, Court said that there's no legitimacy in trying to search for an unconscious reason. Um, what else did they find? They also emphasised the importance of direct evidence of the decision maker's uh, state of mind. Uh, and on screen you'll see that if a decision maker's own reasons for imposing adverse action on an employee are legitimate and the evidence is believed, no breach of the Act will be established. Um, it's not necessary for an employer to go further than that in order to just uh, discharge the reverse onus of proof by discounting every possible unlawful reason. So what other evidence is important to consider? So the High Court uh, stated that evidence comparing what the decision maker uh, would have done or has done in the past uh, if an employee who was not a union official had engaged in the same misconduct uh, would be relevant. And that's not an unfamiliar test for members. Yeah, it sounds similar to um, some of the tests in terms of discrimination claims. Um, what about any other implications that emerged? So the decision also confirmed that the test for determining the reason for adverse action uh, is neither subjective nor objective, rejecting the full court's view, uh, the full federal court's view that determining the operative reason requires consideration of both subjective and objective reasons. So how do you actually apply that? So Justices uh, Gamal and Hain uh, described uh, the view as, as that view as creating an illusory frame of reference and confirmed that the correct test was whether, as a matter of fact, uh, the protected reason for the decision to take adverse action is an operative reason. So what about if an employer has multiple reasons for taking adverse action? Yeah, look, it's, it, that's an interesting one, and, and Barclay goes a long way. Uh, Barclay makes that clear. The High Court's reasoning uh, in Barclay makes it clear that employers that just because a protected attribute exists, such as being a union official, it doesn't mean that adverse action was taken for that reason. Uh, the fact that an employee was acting in their capacity as a union official must be a substantive and operative reason for the adverse action, um, but it doesn't need to be the only reason. Um, so in terms of that, th that's also a relevant thing to keep in mind. Uh, there may be more than one reason for taking a particular action. So why is the um, Barclay decision um, so important? So the decision emphasises the importance of having a direct nexus uh, between the intention of the decision maker and the protected attribute of the employee. Um, the High Court uh, decision significantly reduced the burden imposed on employers in defending general protections claim with respect to that reverse onus of proof, especially uh, for claims involving 
forms of industrial activity. Uh, it reaffirms that the, um, that the evidence of the decision maker, the conscious evidence itself can prove that an employer did not take adverse action for a prohibited reason. And so what does the decision mean for employers, especially uh, HRIR practitioners? Yeah, and a really interesting point with regards to HRIR uh, practitioners and a reminder uh, in this case that HR managers can be individually named uh, as a separate party and potentially liable for uh, adverse action claims along with their employer. So what it really reminds us is that, um, that the training in adverse action and decision making is crucial and should be supported by strong policies and procedures. Uh, so how else can employers minimise the risk of adverse action claims? So despite the decision of the High Court, it, it is important to remember that as a result of the general protections provisions of the Act, uh, commonplace employer actions could be challenged as adverse actions for a prohibited reason. And to minimise exposure to those kinds of claims, employers should do the following. Ensure that management maintains written records of employee requests for leave, overtime, flexible working arrangements. Understand the prohibited reasons for taking adverse action under the Act. Ensure that reasons for taking actions, including disciplinary action against employees, are carefully considered and clearly documented. Ensure that all employee complaints are treated in a serious manner and are fully investigated. So that's all I wanted to cover today with respect to the decision by the High Court in Benico Tafe and Barclay. Emma, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Joette. Reach